I'm, I'm a firm believer that uh, God has a, a sense of humor, that God um, has a way of, um, he knows what is best for his church um, more than I would ever know. I don't care how much seminary training, I don't care how much um, um, church experience you have had, God is basically, uh, he is the one who is in control of his church. He knows what is best. And for Missio Day Church, we, since last September, have been walking through the entire book of Mark. And uh, in doing that, it has been sequential. We have chosen not to, you know, jump around and, oh, let's take this one because now it's this time of the year. Oh, we're getting close to Easter. Well, let's take this, the Easter story. We have been going sequentially through the book of Mark. Well, a couple baptisms ago, um, we we preached about the beheading of John the Baptist, Baptist during baptism. It seems a little odd uh, that we, we talk about beheading and infant baptism. Well, this morning we are going to be talking about a really happy subject, divorce. Divorce. And it's like, oh man, God, can we not, you know, next week if you look in your Bible, it's the section where it's... Uh, Jesus says, let the little children come to me. And it's like, God, come on. Can't we just skip over the divorce section and jump right into, you know, it'd be very appropriate. Baptism. Let the little children come to me. But this morning, God has for us, uh, in the book of Mark, chapter 10, talking about divorce. And I know that this is a subject that is very, it's a, a very touchy subject. It's one of those subjects that, man, if, if you have walked through this personally or as a child watched it happen in your parents' lives, it is one of those subjects that is extremely near and dear and painful. So I want you to hear this morning, my heart is a pastor's heart. My heart is... Uh, I, I've wrestled with this with the elder candidates. I've wrestled this with this with my wife, uh, saying, okay, honey, how, how, do I, how do I address this subject pastorally, but yet hold true to the Word of God? To be, to be gentle, but yet firm. To be true to what God has to say about marriage. So I want you to hear this morning, I am, I'm entering into this Walking carefully. And I want you to hear this morning, I'm not addressing all issues. I'm not addressing every little thing. Well, what if this? Well, what if that? Well, what about my situation? What about this situation? We are going to be addressing this morning, looking carefully at what God says first and foremost about marriage. What does He say about marriage? And then why does He talk about divorce the way he talks about divorce. And the thing I think that hopefully we are going to be able to see is that God is a covenant God. Much like we see in the in the sacrament of baptism, God is a, a covenant God and he has a reason for the things that he does. The reason for a man and a woman shall leave their father and mother and become one. For what purpose? So this morning I want to invite you Join me. Grab a Bible. We've got them along the aisles. Allow the words of God, not Paul Vroom, 
but the words of God to speak very clearly. Um, it's page uh, 845 and 846. As we, as we walk through this subject together, listen carefully to the words of the Lord, starting in verse 1. And he left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan, and the crowds gathered to him again. And again, as was his custom, he taught them. And the Pharisees came, came up, and in order to test him, asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, What did Moses command? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And Jesus said to, said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What, therefore, God has joined together, let not man separate. And in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. And he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her and it and if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. This is the word of the Lord. This is a, a tough subject. And I, I wish that I could come before you this morning as a professional marriage person. Where you could, uh, you know, kind of put one of those little spy cams into the Vroom family house and go, Man! They got their junk together. Paul and Laura are just in this loving marriage. They never fight. They never bicker. You know, it's just perfect. They're perfect parents. They're perfect lovers. Their sex life is stellar. You know, everything is just absolutely perfect. But you're looking at a sinner who happens to be a pastor. And so... For me, you know, I'm going, okay, God, why, why me addressing this very difficult subject? And God is going, listen, it's not you who's addressing this subject. It's me. Allow the words of Scripture to speak for themselves. And so we, we are planted in a culture today where divorce is a painful thing. And it's almost an easy thing today. In fact, there was a, a book written in the 80s by John Adams and Nancy Williamson, and they wrote a book called Divorce, How and When to Let Go. Listen to this quote. Your marriage can wear out. People change their values and lifestyles. People want to experience new things. Change is a part of life. Change and personal growths are traits for you to be proud of, indicative of, of a vital searching mind. You must accept the reality that in today's multifaceted world, it is especially easy for two persons to grow apart. 
letting go of your marriage, if it is no longer fulfilling, can be the most successful thing you've ever done. Getting a divorce can be a positive, problem-solving, growth-oriented step. It can be a personal triumph. And it's an amazing thing, by making self-fulfillment the guiding principle of life, one can call failure success, disintegration growth, and disaster triumph. And this morning, we've got to hear what Jesus has to say about this this topic of marriage and divorce. And so I know, like I said before, this is a very tender subject. For those people who have gone through divorce or are currently in a real messy situation, there are times where you feel that you have a great big letter D on your chest, that you have been targeted, and everywhere that you go, you carry this with you. And if you're a part of a church, you know, all of a sudden it's like, oh, you're divorced, or oh, you're going through that. And all of a sudden, people start to move away. They take steps away. There's deep pain because you, you're dealing with, um, what, what does God's Word have to say? Am I being unfaithful? What, what is God gonna, is God going to judge me? What do I do? You know, what about my children? What are, they, are they going to carry this to the next generation? Is this going to be a generational sin? What, how does this impact me? It affects your time at work. It affects your, your thought process as you lay in bed. It affects your children. And so it's, it's a very painful thing. There are few things more painful than divorce. It cuts to the depth of a person unlike any other relational gash. It is emotionally more heart-wrenching than the death of a spouse. Death is usually a clean pain. Divorce is a, a dirty kind of pain. In other words, the, the enormous loss of a spouse is death compounded. In death is compounded in divorce by the ugliness of sin and moral outrage at being so wrong. So, as we look at this, we've got to be able to identify with the psalmist in Psalm 6, where he, he, he talks very clearly about, about the pain. I'm weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my, my couch with my weeping. Divorce is painful. And the thing is, in America, it happens to over four out of every ten marriages. Four out of every ten. And Christian marriages are no different. In fact, we're pretty darn close. So there's two ways that we could lovingly and caringly respond to this situation as the church of Jesus Christ. And I think that these are very important as, as we address the issue of marriage and divorce. And one is... And I think this is number one, is that we lovingly and caringly come alongside divorced persons and stand by them as they grieve and potentially repent of the the sinful part of their own. I think it is critical that we as a church become a community of faith that 
comes alongside and does not abandon people. That we, we say, man, can I pray with you? Can I come alongside you? How do I walk with you through this, this uh, dark night of the soul? What is it that we can do as a church? And stay with them through the transition and help them find the forgiveness and the strength for new obedience that Christ has obtained when He died for us. And I think there's another way. I think the other way is also loving and caring. And I think it is, and listen carefully to how I say this, is to articulate a hatred for divorce and why it is against God's will. And do all that we can biblically to keep it from happening. Compromises on the sacredness of the lifelong permanence of marriage. Positions that weaken the, the solidity of marriage, of the covenant union that you make, may seem uh, loving in the short run, but in the long run, it will wreak havoc. It'll cause pain. It'll cause deep, deep pain. So, the Church of Jesus Christ, I believe, is called to do the hard work of reconciliation of coming along people and preaching as well the hard message that marriage is meant to be a lifelong commitment, a covenant relationship between a man, a wife, and their Savior. For Missio Day, we, we take uh, a minimum of six weeks of marriage counseling. And that marriage counseling is done with my wife and I two hours at our home. For six weeks. That's the minimum. And there is homework galore because we want these people to be able to be sure that they understand what this is about. What this is really all about. And one of the first questions that we ask is, tell me, what is the gospel of Jesus Christ? What is that good news? What is the hope that you have in Jesus Christ? Do you believe that the Bible is the authority for all of your life? Because I think that we have to have a very good definition of what marriage is. And here is the ultimate meaning that John Piper gives for what is the ultimate meaning of marriage. He says, the ultimate meaning of marriage is the representation of the covenant-keeping love between Christ and His church. Marriage is not just this lovey-dovey thing that you have with your spouse. That's not what marriage is. That's part of it, but that's not it. A marriage is the representation of the covenant-keeping love that Jesus has with His church. Marriage is not just you and your spouse. Marriage is the representation of the love that Jesus Christ has for His church. And if that is true, how then do we address marriage? How then do we address divorce? How, how then do we address adultery? How then do we address the, the tough things when it, comes to the rep, when it comes to marriage, when it comes to life together as husband and wife, as fiancé and fiancé? Is that what it is? As two engaged couples. 
or if you are considering getting marriage, how do you enter into this? How do you look for that spouse, that future person? And I think that uh, to live this truth out and to show this truth, this truth is what it means most deeply to be married. This is the ultimate reason, really, why marriage ex- exists. There are other reasons, but this is the main thing. So therefore, if Christ ever abandons the church, discards his church and says, I'm done with you. I'm done with the church. You guys are a bunch of idiots. I've been trying, and I've been trying, I've been working, and you've just been unfaithful, and I'm, I'm done with you. If Christ ever does that to his church, then man may divorce his wife. And if the blood-bought church of Jesus Christ under this new covenant ever ceases to be his bride, then a wife may legitimately divorce her husband. But as long as Christ keeps His covenant with His bride, the church. And as long as the church, by the sustaining grace of Jesus Christ, remains the chosen people of of Christ, then the very meaning of marriage will include what God has joined together. Only, Only God can separate. Not man. I pray one of the the effects of this sermon will be that it makes us a people profoundly serious about the, the sacredness of marriage. So no no matter where you are in your marriage journey, no matter whether you've been divorced and remarried, or you're in just a rocky place or you're considering marriage, or you're just dating, that we take serious the sacredness of marriage. It's a unique creation by God. It's a portrayal of God's intention to His people to display the beauty of His covenant-keeping love. So to our text, Mark 10. We see that the, Jesus is on His way to Jerusalem. He's on His way to the cross. And on His way to the cross, He comes to an, an area where he, he hasn't taught before. And in this, having not taught there before, He continues His own tradition. He continues His own tradition of teaching the people. Well, the Pharisees come to Him and say, Listen, Jesus, uh, we've got a question for you. And not saying it, they're hoping to catch him. Because they caught John the Baptist teaching about marriage. And what happened to John the Baptist? He got the axe. And so they're saying, Jesus, why don't you tell us? Why don't you tell us what what the Scriptures say about marriage and divorce? And so Jesus very boldly says, you know what, you ask me, what is, is it lawful for divorce? Which really is a great question. Is it lawful for divorce? State of Illinois, is it lawful for divorce? Absolutely. Is it, ab- is it lawful for divorce in all 50 states? Absolutely. What does Scripture say? Is it lawful for divorce? 
And Jesus shoots it right back at him. Well, what did Moses command you? And being, being good students of Scripture, they jumped to Deuteronomy chapter 24 and said, yeah, it is. According to Moses, Moses said it is lawful for a husband to issue a decree of divorce and to send her away. Just check it out. Matt, it's right there in Scripture. Deuteronomy 24. Matt, according to uh, uh, Moses, it's lawful. If there's any kind of thing that's a little shady, send her away. There, there are different schools of thought in the, in the Jewish uh, rabbi system. One, a little bit more liberal, said that if she even would burn your food, you could send her away. I'll tell you, my wife is uh, about to do a divorce decree, you know? You know, so it says that that's how they were wrestling it. So these, these uh, Pharisees were coming to Jesus and saying, so what's your take? And Jesus says, well, listen, what does he say? And Jesus says, you're right. You're right. He did say that. He did say that you could uh, issue a divorce decree. But I want you to remember, and he, he said this in between the lines, that the Moses who wrote Deuteronomy is the Moses who also wrote Genesis. And Jesus, what does Jesus do? Jesus said, because of your hardness of heart, He wrote you this commandment. Knowing that you are sinful people who are abusing the relationship, the marriage, He wrote you this there were wives who were abused, relationships that were not honoring God. So he issued you this decree because you have hard, hard, hard hearts. So because of the hardness of your heart, he gave you permission. But verse 6, and I love it when it starts off with the word but. But, from the beginning of creation... God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. Hold fast to her. And they shall become one flesh. Jesus is quoting also what Moses has said in in Genesis. He said, yeah, he wrote that because you have hard hearts. But you know what God says? God's original intent, God's beautiful intent for marriage is that a husband and a wife leave their families and they join together and they become one flesh. They, they become one. That's God's original intent. This, this beautiful thing called marriage. And Jesus, Jesus did not relent. He said, listen, that, this is what it's supposed to be saying. It was supposed to be going on in your marriage, in your homes, in your churches, in your synagogues. God's intent is not divorce. Divorce is never commanded and never instituted in the Old Testament. But it was permitted and regulated. And Jesus says here, this permission is not a reflection of God's ideal for His people. It's a reflection of the hardness of the human heart. So Jesus takes them back to the creation and says, listen, 
We, we want to go back to why, where it all started. Let's look at what it is meant to be. God's will about divorce is found in Genesis 1 and 2. And it's not the same as expressed in Deuteronomy 24. So the question is, how will Jesus go? Will he look at the culture of his day and say, you know what, you guys still have hard hearts. You still have hard hearts. Man, you husbands, you're workaholics and you're finding greater joy in your workplace than in your home and in the wife that he gave you in his youth. You know what, I understand. I'm going to still permit it. I'm going to still, we're still regulate it and make sure that it's done well. Will Jesus say that? No. Jesus goes deep. He takes something and says, listen, this is, this is my intent. This is what I want. And going back to, towards the end of verse 8, so they are no longer two but one. And then verse 9, what therefore God had joined together, let no man separate. Let no man separate. I think there's, there's really three things that are going on here. Jesus draws three conclusions. He says, first, you shall become one flesh. Jesus says this in, in His day and ours today. They are no longer two, but they're one. Marriage is this kind of beautiful union. Just as Jesus and the church are one body. And we see this. We see this exact same thing in Romans chapter 12. In Romans chapter 12 it says, And so we, though many, are one body in Christ. And individually, members of one another. Jesus says, listen, you are one flesh. You're members of each other. That's the original intent. And then he goes on and makes a second conclusion. And he says, that this union of one flesh is the creation, the work of God and God alone, not man. It's a work of God. Therefore, what God has joined together. Therefore, what God has joined together. So when a husband and wife, and you know what, this is one of my, my pet peeves. My pet peeves of going to weddings. And I'm probably not the best pastor to sit next to in a wedding. But all of a sudden, you know, the back doors fling wide open, you know, and all of a sudden, everybody and grandmas and mothers of the bride, forgive me for this, but everybody goes, oh, and, you know, the bride, it's, it's her day, isn't it? Have you ever heard? And you probably even said, this is your day, honey. You do whatever you want. You do whatever. Want. This is your day. Really? It's really not your day. Whatever God has joined together. Whatever God has done. This is God's activity. God's creation. God has brought man and wife together and said, listen, I've got something beautiful for you. Are you going to enjoy this in a covenant, a lifelong covenant together? Because this is about what I am doing. Get over yourself. It's not about you. It's about me. It's not about me. It may be a day that you've long anticipated for and you've been planning and done a lot of activity. But it's really about God's activity, God's work, God's creation. Marriage is about God. 
and His work. Becoming one. Two becoming one. Therefore, what God has joined together. And then Jesus nails the last piece together and says, listen. Therefore, let man not separate it. Don't let man separate it. If God joined this man and woman together in marriage, then mere humans have no right to separate what God has joined. If God is the author, the creator, the the one who created marriage, humans have no right to separate. God created this sacred union with this sacred purpose to display the unbreakable firmness of His covenant love with His people. That's what this is about. Another question that we ask in our premarital counseling is, so are you guys having premarital sex? And all of a sudden, everybody goes, it's that awkward, I didn't know we were going to talk about sex on our first time. You know, it's like, oh. And my challenge has always been, you know what? Christ wants to present His bride as pure, as spotless, beautiful on the day of their marriage. Will you do the same? Will you reflect God's desire? for the beauty and permanence of this covenant. So Jesus Jesus was clear that marriage is, is His thing. It's His beautiful display of what He desires for His people as a way to communicate to the world His strength in marriage, as well as His work through Jesus Christ for His church. But Jesus um, went on when He talked to His disciples. You know, they said, listen, um, they had a one-on-one little discussion and they said, listen, Jesus, what are you talking about? What, What are you really... Can we talk about this a little bit more? Because that seems like some pretty tough stuff. And it kind of reminds me, Jesus, of when you were on the, uh, on the mount and you said, you know what, you've heard it said of old that um, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that if you are angry with another person, wait, did I say commit a, adultery? Let's go back. If you, you've heard it say of old that you shall not murder. But I say to you that if you are angry in your heart with another man, you have committed murder. You've heard it said of old that you shall not commit commit adultery. But I say to you, if you look lustfully at another person, you've committed adultery in your heart. There's four other examples of that. Of Jesus saying, listen, you've heard it said. (laughs) I'm going to go one step deeper. Because I want my church to be beautiful. I want it to go deeper. I want you to reflect all of my love. All of my covenant goodness. And he said, listen. When it comes to adultery, he said, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. 
and vice versa. If she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Adultery. Those are hard words today. And we really, honestly, we, we don't like talking about adultery. In fact, we kind of we, we gloss over it and we say, they had an affair. We try to give pretty words to it, don't we? An affair. There's even uh, TV channels or programs. A current affair. Oh, we'll, we'll just call it an affair. They had a, an outing, a, a time together. But Jesus says, no, you, you've committed adultery. And why is this adultery? Why is this? Why is Jesus nail hard words to something like this? Because ultimately it is adultery because it betrays the truth about Christ that this marriage is meant to display. Here's a beautiful thing, though. It's called divorce and the gospel. Jesus Christ came into this world not just to institute moralism. He came to give new life. I've Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. For the old is gone and the new has come. He says, listen, if you recognize the work of Jesus Christ, if you recognize the work that my Son has done, the old is gone and the new has come. It is still going to be hard work. Jesus Christ did the hard work by dying on the cross. Stripping himself of, of his, his, his deity, of sitting right next to the Father. He stripped himself of everything that he was due, and he did the hard work of becoming human for the sake of the church. And in the same way, he calls husbands, Ephesians 5, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Husbands. Men. Future husbands. Current husbands. Fiancés. Or male engaged people. Love your wife as Christ loved the church. And gave Himself up completely for her. As a church, we, we have to wrestle with that. How do, how do we come alongside friends who are struggling through divorce? And maybe that's you. How do we come alongside you and love you and nurture you towards a new wholeness again? For the old is gone and the new has come. How do, how do we walk beside you same time, how do we speak clearly in this culture where you can get a, a, no, a non-contested divorce for about $300 in the state of Illinois? Speaking the truth that God has laid out clearly. This morning we are going to be... Let me, let me do this first. There's two books that I'd really recommend. Um... When Sinners Say I Do. Sounds like a really happy one. Um, when Sinners Say I Do, Discovering the Power of the Gospel for Marriage. 
This is a quality. Whether you've been married one year, getting engaged, you're engaged, or if you've been married 150 years, this is a quality book of rediscovering the power of the gospel for your marriage. Another book is uh, it's called Sacred Marriage by Gary Thomas. Um, when my wife and I started reading it, she hated it. And I think she still hates it. Um, it, it he, he, he says some things in here. It's basically saying, um, what if the title, subtitle is, what if God designed marriage to make us holy more than to make us happy? What if God designed marriage to make us holy and more dependent on Him, seeking after Him more and more instead of marriage just to be the happy place? And so two books that I'd highly recommend. But what we're going to do now is we are going to, um, we celebrate communion every week. And there's something beautiful in the the communion table. The communion table is the, the visible reminder of the work of Jesus Christ, the work that He has done for His church. His saved people. It's the reminder that Jesus Christ, the perfect one, came, gave His life fully for a fallen humanity so that anybody who looks to the Son and believes in Him might be saved. It's the reminder through the bread, the body, and the blood that He shed His blood for His church so that we can have hope. So this is a meal that we we celebrate together. We celebrate it by means of intention. And basically what that means is we'll have two stations. And you'll take a piece of bread, the body of Christ broken for you. And you go to the next station, dip it into the cup, the blood of Christ poured out for you. Amen.